my name is Tim Gibb. I, I now hail from First Lobo Baptist Church, your sister church, um, in Lobo, uh, which, well, Lobo is much smaller than Wyoming. I, I say if, if Lobo, if we were in, if the church was physically in Lobo, Lobo would simply be cornfields. And pea fields, I found out across the road. Uh, that smell when they come off of the, when the peas come off of the field, it made me so hungry this year. So I had to, I had to go inside and I couldn't be outside for that, for that adventure. I loved, I've only been at Lobo for, um, for seven months. Um, and, and love, love the congregation there. But it's always wonderful to come back because I grew up on a 200 acre farm just five kilometers away from Lobo. It's always wonderful to be back out of the city and into a place where you can smell fresh air and you can, you can see distances and you can, you can smell the joy of the harvest. And I would go outside when I was at the church and I would just smell the harvest coming in and just smell the, that beautiful sweet smell of peas, the beautiful sweet smell of corn, the beautiful smell of the horse farm next to me. Um, and, you know, I was, for a couple of years, we were, well, for a number of years, we were in Cambridge. For a couple of years, we were downtown Cambridge. Um, very large, very large, old Gothic, Gothic church in Galt. And, um, and you couldn't see out any of the windows. And, and it was hard to know what was outside of your, outside of your window. When I look out, look outside of my window in Lobo, I can see the raccoon peering at me. Um, but when we were in Cambridge, we couldn't. I couldn't see things that were outside my window. I could hear them sometimes. So just in, in downtown Galt, you could hear you could hear the sound of of homelessness because I could hear men snoring outside my window. They would come around and they would live outside of the church, uh, and they would camp out outside of the church. And they would find a, a small spot literally outside of my window because it was, there was a section between the Grand River and our church that was, that was kind of boxed in. A lot of snow landed there, and you could put up a, a pup tent, and most people couldn't see it or know that it was there. I knew it was there because I could hear them snoring um, because the walls were so, were so small, so thin. It was, in my mind, it was the sound of homelessness, but it was also the sound of hopelessness. There's a sound of hopelessness. The, the police officers would tell me, oh, we, we just can't get rid of them. So uh, it was hard to get rid of them. So I bought a trumpet. And that's how I got rid of the snoring. Um, I would blow my trumpet, and it would wake them up, and they would, they would move on. But it, it, always, it always saddened me because there was this hopelessness outside my window. There's a hopelessness outside my door. And there's a hopelessness that didn't go away. It just permeated. It stayed there. And as I prepared for this morning, I'll be honest, when, when guest speakers come to a church, they, they normally, normally, they'll pull out a, a, a sermon that they've, they've already preached. They, they have. I've done it. Today, uh, this week, I, I went through my sermons that I would normally preach to a congregation, and I leafed through it, and I, I couldn't find one. 
I couldn't find one that spoke to where my heart was at and where I thought God was leading me this morning. And and that hopeless sound was, was permeating my mind. And partly because of some of the things that have happened in my life in the last couple of weeks. Um, but this word hopelessness rattled around. And it rattled around because sometimes, even for myself, I forget what hope is. And when I look at the word hope, and I see it in the Bible, and I see it in our world today, it's, in our world today, the word hope has become kind of a buzzword. I had to catch myself even last week, because I, I kind of add the word hope into my emails. And it's kind of, it's like a pastoral thing. I hope you're doing, I hope and pray you're doing well. It's like, and then, you know, you kind of say, you know what, I, I shouldn't use the word pray because if I'm not actually praying, then it's a lie. So it just becomes, I hope. I hope you're doing well. I hope this finds you well. I hope the email finds you well. And I, I have tended to use that word hope in such a trite way, in such a small way. When I text sometimes, I hope you're doing well. I got a text like that this morning. I hope everything goes well this morning. Power is out here. And I sent back another message. I hope you enjoy the morning of quiet. We use this word kind of superficially. But Jesus doesn't. The Apostle Paul doesn't. We tend to use it with, with things that, that shouldn't resonate with the word hope. We use it when we talk about our circumstances. We use it when we talk about people or places. We talk about it when we, we use it when we talk about things. You know, I hope the car runs. I hope we can, I can get this raise. I hope I can get this promotion. I hope this money helps with whatever. I hope the mortgage company will allow us to renew. I hope this or I hope that. I hope everything goes well. I hope I don't have to deal with that. When it's used in such a tiny and insignificant way, not only makes a dent in what we actually need to place our hope in. And if we aren't careful, hope gets tied into our dreaming and our wishing. And the word hope becomes trivial. It almost becomes Disney-esque. And we tie everything to this. So let's look at what hope really is. Let's look at what hope really is. So if you have your Bibles handy, can you turn with me to Romans 5? If you're looking at your pew Bibles, I saw it was on page 914. If all of your pew Bibles are the same. If they're not, you're on your own. But the one right there. <laughs> I've been in a church like that, or every pew has a different version and a different Bible. And you get a call out. What? What page number is it in this Bible? I'm not sure. And before we read the text, 
just a couple of things. Paul has this incredible ability to cram huge amounts of goodness and theology in a very small space. In a very small space. So as we walk through this passage, um, you're going to see things that are just going to bombard you. They bombard me when I read anything in Pauline, in Pauline epistles, especially in Romans. When I read Romans, I have to stop every sentence and just take a breath and think. And then an hour later, I can read the next verse. We're not going to do that this morning. Um, but you're going to see peace. You're going to see faith, joy. You're going to see grace, sacrifice, perseverance. But as you follow along with me, as I read, take a close look at hope. And the theme of hope that runs through this passage, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. When you take the whole passage apart, we're not going to do that. We're not going to take everything apart this morning. Uh, because it's so, it is so, so, so thick and dense. But you're going to see hope standing on its own. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone will possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if we are one of God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we read this absolutely incredible text. This text where we see, Father, we see your son, Jesus Christ. We see his sacrifice. We see your love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We pray as we walk through this text that is filled with hope, Lord, that our lives will be transformed. Our minds would be renewed, that our hearts would be transformed 
by your gospel, by your word, by your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, embrace us in this moment, in these moments, in your scriptures. Amen. So there's, there's three things that I want to look at in this, in this passage. If we actually really broke it down, we'd probably do what, um, what MacArthur does, and we go verse by verse by verse to really let it all sink in. But there's, there's three things that I want to look at. The first one is, is hope is something that we rejoice in. Hope is something that we rejoice in. Our hope is in something that is other than ourselves. You see, if hope is something that we rejoice in, hope is in something that is other than ourselves, something that has nothing to do with us. In, in a real way, our hope is in the glory of someone else. Our hope is in the glory of God. That's a very different that's a different, a very different idea of hope in our world today. See, we hope for something that is for us. When we hope for something and we hope for someone else, it's for us. I hope the car doesn't break down in the way of Wyoming. I hope, I hope that um, that payroll goes through. I hope that the power isn't out when I get home in my bridges. I hope, I hope, I hope, and the hope is for me, but. The scripture says that our hope, our hope is in rejoicing, is in the glory of God. So your hope is in the glory of God. Our hope is, is actually and should be selfless. So when we hope on a day-to-day basis in our circumstances and our places and people, hope is about us. But the scripture says hope is in the glory of God. It helps us with a couple of very basic things. And the first one is is that our hope should be selfless. It's kind of a principle of hope. Hope should be selfless. The second thing, second principle, is that hope is eternal. See, when we hope in our circumstances, when we hope in people and places, when we hope in things for us, they're temporal. But when we hope, when we hope in the glory of God, our hope becomes eternal. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's for this reason that we can actually hope in suffering. The Bible, the Bible says here that, we, that, our, that, that suffering is there and it produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. It's for this reason, because hope is eternal, because our hope is in the glory of God and that is eternal, that we can hope and we can have suffering. And suffering, because it also is temporal, can live and dwell in our time of hope. It can resonate at the same time. And we can live through our suffering because suffering too is temporal. And eventually, under the care of the Holy Spirit, that suffering becomes hope. 
hope which is eternal. So the work of three, the verse, verse three and five, that, that hope that we see through suffering and perseverance, it's not natural, it's supernatural. It's like a garden being tended, our souls and our hearts and our minds. Our lives are like a garden for the Holy Spirit to work and to tend. And as he works in our suffering, and he works in our perseverance, he works in our character. It produces these beautiful blossoms, this beautiful flower of hope. Beautiful hope. And hope is eternal. See, when, when we see hope as it is and as it, as it should be in the glory of God, our hope becomes selfless and our hope becomes eternal. It's something that our souls cry out for. We cry out for that, that, eterna, that eternality. Our souls actually cry out to be selfless because it's that image bearingness of God that resides in us. And we can dwell in it. Hope is something that we rejoice in. Hope is something that we rejoice in. Hope is something that never disappoints. When we put our hope in people, when we put our hope in places, I remember when I was really young, I, I lived in London, the East End of London, and my friends and I loved playing in the forest. There's this forest in between the French immersion school that I didn't go to, bonjour, bonjour, and the public school that I did attend, and there was this forest, a beautiful forest, and we used to play in it all the time. Me and my friends, we loved it. I was 10 or 11 years old, and somehow we found out that this forest was going to be torn down. It was going to be completely bulldozed over, and they were going to put tons of new housing back there. And it devastated us. Like, our entire playground is gone. Our life as we know it is completely vanished. And so we thought to ourselves, because we put our hope in that place, because we loved it, loved that place, put everything that we had into that place, and we actually went out and we got petition, a petition start, started to save the forest. 10, 11-year-old kids trying to, to stand up against the Home Builders Association, et cetera, et cetera, in the city of London, and we got 50 signatures. We thought we were doing amazing. And we put all of our hope we put all of our hope in, in the signatures and these people to stand with us. And when we presented it to our principal, our principal smiled and said, kids, this is great. It's great that you love this, but I'll try. You know, we kind of left it at that. And about six months later, the bulldozers came and they bulldozed the entire forest. And it was just, it was gone. We felt hopeless because all of our hope was in that place. All of our hope was in these people. And it was just sheer disappointment. It was sheer disappointment. It's like at the age of 10 or 11, why would I hope in anything? Because it's, it, life is hopeless. If, if 50 signatures can't do it, I don't know what can. 
and my favorite tree is gone, or my favorite sitting spot is gone, it's all over. Because we put our hope in something that was temporal. We put our hope in people. We put our hope in places. And those things always disappoint. They always do. My 12-year-old son told me I was a disappointment to him the other day. He's a very bright young man. It's terrifying to me, actually. And, and I picked him up from school, and I was a couple minutes late. Like, I mean, literally a couple minutes late. Three or four minutes late. And he was standing there, shaking his head, tapping his foot. I said, what, buddy? He says, you disappoint me, Dad. You're late. I said, sorry, buddy. I had a phone call. He says, doesn't matter. You're late. People disappoint. We disappoint other people. But, see, hope, real, eternal, selfless hope, it doesn't disappoint. It doesn't disappoint. Disappointment is real. But hope Hope is real. Eternal hope is real. And it doesn't disappoint. See, it finds fulfillment because that hope, that hope is something that comes from God. Our hope is governed by God. If you look at this text, it comes from God. And hope does not disappoint us in verse 5 because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Hope doesn't disappoint because it emanates from God. Our hope emanates from God. We sometimes, I think, almost always think that hope comes from us. But it doesn't. Our hope actually comes from God. That's why it can be eternal. That's why it can be selfless. I look at this passage this morning. I was just rattled by this passage as I kept moving down, further down and further down and further down. But God demonstrated his own love for us and as well. We were still sinners. Christ died for us. The perfect example of selflessness. The perfect example of selflessness. Hope never disappoints because it's, it's embodied in God. God gives it to us as a gift. And when I hear the snoring, I heard the snoring outside the window when I was in Cambridge, and that hopelessness that was there, it was because God wasn't there. And when I see brokenness and and pain and hurt and a hopelessness, it's because God isn't in that. And the greatest thing that we can give people is a hope that doesn't disappoint because that's what God gave us. And when we do give others hope, we give them Jesus. We give them Jesus. We don't give them Proverbs. We don't give them helps and supports. Those are nice, but we give them Jesus. When somebody says, somebody, I, I feel helpless or I feel hopeless, yes, I'm going to give them, I'm going to give them food or I'm going to give them provision. I'm going to give them their temporal bodily, bodily helps and supports. But you know what I want to give them? I want to give them Jesus. Because if you feel helpless, if you feel hopeless, the only remedy for that is Jesus. 
He's the only one who doesn't disappoint. Because hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. Hope is something we rejoice in, and we know that hope is selfless and eternal. We know that hope never disappoints. That's the joy of hope. It never disappoints. Pure, beautiful, God-given hope brings joy. All these things are true, and they're only true because hope is Jesus. Hope is Jesus. We put our hope in Christ. We look at Christ in hope. The reality is our hope is Jesus. Jesus is hope. He is our hope. Everything rests in him. Everything is him. His very essence, our hope is found. He is Jesus, our Savior. One of my dear friends was buried yesterday. He was 57 years old. His name was Stephen. And he was an extraordinary man. He was, he was sick, been sick for a while. And I lived in a group home that I used to work at through Christian Horizons. And every time I saw him, he had his Bible in his hand. Every time I saw him. He had a little one that he would pull out of his pocket, and he had a big one that he carried around. And when I saw him at church, when I saw him in the group home, the first thing he would do is he'd pull out his Bible, and he'd come and he'd point. And one of the few words he learned was hope. And one of the few words he learned was Jesus. And over 15 years, that man taught me that even for him, Jesus was hope. Absolute hope. I wasn't able to be at his funeral yesterday. It's perhaps one of the reasons why I couldn't just pull out a, a sermon. I was, my heart wasn't there. My heart was where Stephen was in his hope in Jesus, his hope in this profound thing, this profound person of Jesus this extraordinary reality. Jesus embodies the very nature of hope. You see, as at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ, Jesus, died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but for a good man, someone who might possibly dare to die. But God, our Father in heaven, creator of all things, demonstrated his own love for us, you and I, and the world that we live in. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here's, 
here's where hope really resonates. Here's where hope really resonates. Because there's this really cool word at the very beginning of chapter 5. It's therefore, because of. And Paul didn't put chapter and verse in his letters. He just wrote a letter. So if you go to chapter 4, verse 25, you see where hope resides. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. And here it is. Here is where hope finds its place. And was raised to life for our justification. Because my friend Stephen has gone to be with the Lord. And so many of us have lost brothers and sisters and have lost friends have lost loved ones, have lost neighbors. But we have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope, and I have a hope that I'm going to see him one day. Because he had the same hope. He had the same hope. See, for me, I've wrestled with this word. I've wrestled with the word hope. To not allow it to be this trite, word that I just throw into emails or I throw in a, in a text message. I want, I want hope to mean something. I want hope to mean something when I communicate it. Because hope, because hope means something to Jesus, because hope is Jesus. It's not just this meaningless word. It really is a holy word because it exemplifies the very nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your life and for mine. We have this incredible gift. We have this incredible gift, one that is eternal, one that is selfless. One that will rejoice in one that never disappoints. We have this incredible gift in its beauty and its majesty, this gift of hope that is in and is Jesus Christ. I've asked myself where I place my hope. It's, it's where I've been this week. Where is my hope? And not just for eternity forward, but where is my hope today? Where do I live? What do I live in today? And I, I want to live in hope today. As in, I want to live in Jesus today. I want to live in the death and resurrection of Jesus today. I want it to be who I am. And my prayer for you today is this. That hope reside in you. And let Jesus reside in you. That his resurrection reside, that you carry it with you. That his work you have pride in. That his death you you rejoice in. Because it is all Jesus and his beautiful Savior that we love and adore and that we glorify and we sing to. He gives us hope. Because he is the embodiment of hope.
and he hands it to you and he hands it to me as an unbelievable gift and says, run with it. Where is, where is your hope today? And if your hope is in Jesus, brothers and sisters, give it away. Let's pray. Father, let our hope be on you, Lord. The exemplar of hope, the icon of hope, the embodiment of hope, the creator of hope, Father, we pray that you would reside in us that we would live each day, each hour, each moment in this eternal joy of the hope that you bring through your life, death, and resurrection. That you be our hope. And it would help us as a community, as brothers and sisters, to share that with the world around us. That we only come to you in our brokenness, our fragileness, cry out to you, be our hope. In your name we pray. Amen.